Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Bottoming, the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock bottoming and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit bottomingpodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. Hello, I'm Matthew. And I'm Brendan, and our pronouns are he and him. This is our fifth Pride Month episode. Mm -hmm. It's our final Pride Month episode. It's been a busy month. Mm -hmm. In the first week, we spoke to Jason Okandaya and Mark Thompson of Black and Gay back in the day. And we also spoke to Maud Gober of Michael Rainbow and UK Black Pride. In week two, we spoke with Charlie Craggs and Hannah Rose from London Trans Pride. We then spoke to Miss Cherry Valentine of RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 2 and Tyler Hatwell of LGBT Plus Traveller Pride. And last week we spoke with Sharon Dallywell on Burnt Roti Magazine and Middlesex Pride. So last, but by no means least, this episode we are going to be speaking to the people behind the AIDS Memorial Instagram account. And Ash Kotak of AIDS Memory UK. But before we get into that, I think it would just be lovely just to recap a little bit on the month. We've obviously spoke to an enormous amount of gorgeous guests. Mm-hmm. I think similarly, similar to our LGBT History Month series, we obviously went weekly instead of bi-weekly to try and showcase as many different people and voices as we could do. And I hope that as we've, as much as we've enjoyed listening, speaking and learning to everyone, we hope that you've also got a lot out of this month. It's been really busy and I'm not going to lie and say that it hasn't been difficult at times or challenging but I think it makes it more rewarding at the end when we can look back and see what we've done and produced. I think we've had a lot of really important conversations, we've highlighted a lot of different prides that some of them I wasn't aware existed and hopefully gathered a few new listeners along the way. We'd obviously usually say, how have you been? Mm -hmm. But given our schedules... It's been four days since we recorded our part of Sharon's episode. 
Not much has happened. <laughs> There's nothing to report. I still have a bruise on my leg from that game of spike ball. And Matthew is still stressed. So. <laughs> okay, I have one thing to report. So this weekend I'm going home for my mum's birthday. So I just want to say happy birthday, mum. And happy birthday to my nephew, Henry. Love you lots. Obviously, a lot of the conversations we've had this month have been relatively positive because Pride is usually seen as a month of celebration and joy and happiness and just celebrating and being proud of who we are. But a lot of our history in the LGBT community has involved a lot of pain. And we wanted to end the Pride Month series focusing on two really important projects highlighting the AIDS epidemic because we also think that it's important to not forget our history. I think we've said in other capacities as well, especially in the History Month episodes, about how knowing, understanding and learning your history can then provide you the ground and to kind of grow and move forward and build yourself and also the community around you and also the future as well. So yeah, we were really, really pleased to be able to speak to Ron from the AIDS Memorial Instagram account, just to hear a little bit more about the work that they do. So here is Ron from the AIDS Memorial. Hi, my name is Ron, and my pronouns are he, him, his, though I'll respond to any pronoun said with respect. The AIDS Memorial is a digital storytelling platform. It was started in the 2016-2017 year there's a lot of confusion around those dates, specifically because 2016 was what was printed in Vogue, but uh, it's my understanding that 2017 was actually the year it was birthed. The AIDS Memorial is a digital platform meant to tell the stories of the lives lost during the AIDS uh, crisis and all of the people still dealing with HIV and AIDS today. So what we kind of found so touching with the memorial is the combination of imagery alongside the, the written messages as well. So whether it's a friend, a loved one or a family member. Um, each of the stories is so, so varied um, and they never fail to tug on the heartstrings. Um, what do you feel the AIDS Memorial does for um, addressing the stigma and misconceptions around HIV and AIDS? I mean, in a lot of ways, I think the AIDS Memorial humanizes the HIV and AIDS stories that we've we've been lucky enough to now hear. When I was growing up, there wasn't a platform like this. There wasn't a way to hear about the AIDS crisis. And so all you were given to work with in terms of understanding that period of time was the media representation of that period, mm -hmm. which is rife with like misinformation and a lot of stigma, mm -hmm. perpetuates a lot of stigma. And so I think that the AIDS Memorial has done a lot of work in destigmatizing the experience of HIV and AIDS. And it allows people to feel more connected to the stories being told on a platform like the AIDS Memorial, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, scrolling through your Instagram feed in, let's say, not a particularly queer area, not a space where it's safe to be queer, and all you've heard your whole life is that HIV and AIDS is a gay person's disease, and it's, you know, this, that, or the other, your context going into a page like the AIDS Memorial is going to be a pretty limited scope. 
right? You're only going to have a very specific point of view on what uh, what this topic is. And I think what the Asian Morio offers is on your smartphone an opportunity to break down some of those barriers, right? To to engage people who might not ever have access to this information in a way that uh, speaks to them honestly and truthfully, right? Every message posted on the Ace Memorial is a message sent with love, right? It, it tells you a story of, it tells you the story of why these particular narratives are important in a political and social sense, but they're also written from the first person as sort of a love letter to the person mm. lost, right? The truth is, serial converting is never an easy process. And mm. a lot of the perception people, or a lot of the internal sort of struggle people face in serial converting is the idea that like, they're stained, that they're unlovable, that there's now a exponential barrier to them ever finding value in their life. And I think that telling these stories is a really strong way to highlight the value that these people had because mm. it's, it's, it's about celebrating their memory. Mm-hmm. It's about creating a broader reach and access for the amount of care this person had and the relationships they fostered. I think all of that is so deeply important, especially when we talk about someone's legacy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who are you once you leave this world? Mm-hmm. The fact that there's a, a, a way to celebrate these people for the impact they've made. I couldn't be more grateful mm-hmm. to uh, the AIDS Memorial for doing the work it does. It's especially important as well, given mm-hmm. the treatment of people at the time and continue to this day, mm-hmm. but the, the disrespect and the injustices as well by governments, by states, and kind of the lack of humanity that was shown yeah. around the entire epidemic. You did mention the um, Vogue article earlier, but from there, the, uh, there was a note that the AIDS Memorial often received messages from people wishing that they could submit their stories, but they're still too ashamed to admit the true cause of death of their loved one. Is this still the case? Is, are, are you still getting messages like that? Far fewer. Fortunately, over time, I think that there, as the AIDS Memorial has existed, what we've seen is it's been successful in helping to destigmatize this virus, but that does not mean the stigma doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the challenges we face are actually in like generational stigma. A lot of people who have survived the AIDS crisis, and they're, they're very few and far between. We lost a, you know, a pretty big generation to the virus and so the the folks that that didn't make it i think that there's a special level of like trauma and loss there that they have to work through it's it's one thing when you know one of the uh, few survivors of that generation is coming forward to tell their own story but it's another thing entirely when you know this is someone who maybe belonged to a family that had a really complicated understanding of mm-hmm. the the aids crisis and maybe had a lot of integrated shame in their own right to sort of unlearn. Unlearning that sort of stigma is something you have to have the privilege to go out of your way to do, mm-hmm. right? The unlearning process for that isn't integrated into our day-to-day lives, right? In the same way that like unlearning a lot of our own other prejudices might be, right? As a man day-to-day, I know that I can walk around in spaces and recognize my maleness may impact my lens but I don't know that we always think about status mm-hmm. in the same way. And I think that there is a 
an important conversation there to be had. But yes, it has gotten better over time. People are more forthcoming now. I think especially as the account has grown, people get really excited about seeing their story shared. So from the point of the Vogue article to now, I can promise you that it's been a huge improvement. But I'm absolutely certain that there are still people who won't share their stories with us Mm -hmm. uh, just because they've they've got their own trauma and stigma to unlearn. And I guess on that topic still kind of as we mentioned earlier you know even even recently like in let's say five years ago ten years ago the representation of um hiv and aids in the media was awful Mm -hmm. before that completely awful obviously as we've kind of progressed it's kind of improved slightly in the last year we've seen things like it's a sin do you think that that commercial exposure over the years has push more people to submit their stories as well and also break down that stigma in a different way yeah 100 percent. i think people are more forthcoming than ever right and mm-hmm. so it's in seeing something like it's a sin a series that exists on a premium cable channel that stars an immensely talented group of people that speak to a really real experience and story um the same can be said for shows like Pose, mm-hmm. you know, that also speak to that experience. This is the kind of representation I always wish we had mm-hmm. when I was younger, right? And I think that there's a lot of value in recognizing that this now means there's also potentially a, a whole new generation of people, young people coming up now who will see that. And it'll be that much more normal for them mm-hmm. to have conversations around HIV and AIDS, right? It'll be that much more normal for them to want to go back and look at the history of the generations that came before them. As a, as a, as a young gay elder, <laughs> I often joke that, you know, I worry that we're, that so much of queer history historically has been oral history that we've, we've never been written about in our books, mm-hmm. right? We've never had our stories told in any uh, way that like is integrated into our education system. Mm-hmm. And so we've relied heavily on elders sharing with younger people to sort of pass on the information. And there was a point in time where I I, I was concerned that like, oh, are we moving to a place where young people are just no longer interested Mm. in the generations that came before them, right? We've come so far. They have so many freedoms. Is this something that still has value to them? And I think the success of a show like It's a Sin really speaks to um, just how wrong I might have been, right? There is an interest. Pose is successful because of that interest. And so all I can say is that I really hope that there's more of this to come because I think that media representation is incredible. It's it's so, it can't, I can't underscore its value enough mm. because what it does is it probably forces young people everywhere. And I'm talking about in podunk middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. to have really important conversations with the people around them. Mm. How many parents are now having to field questions around stuff that maybe they don't know mm. much about, right? And are maybe having to investigate themselves. I think this sort of representation only serves to prove that not only are people interested in the generations that can perform them, but they're curious mm-hmm. and they, they, they're hungry. They want more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I only hope that we as creators can continue to, provide that mm. similarly in the past i have had thoughts about the kind of the difference in generations and the progress that is made and kind of history being lost almost do you think digitization of this sort of thing is helping to link 
the generational kind of aspect of it and the history. 100%. I mean, I'm a firm believer that like, if you want, if you want to reach people, you have to meet them where they're at Mm -hmm. and where people are are on their smartphones. Mm. So I think that the smartest thing that Stuart did was make it so that this was a memorial that was accessible to everyone and it's for everyone you know it's a it's a memorial that really speaks to the diversity in story the diversity in narrative the diversity of experience right if you look through the AIDS memorial page there are so many stories and each of them is very unique and each of them speaks specifically to the experience of the person they're you know written about and to know that there are this many people who have such a shared legacy I think really says something about the level of access the AIDS Memorial has created. Mm. And I'm, that's, I mean, one of the things I'm proudest of when it comes to this, this, this page. I mean, don't get me wrong. The narratives are beautiful. The stories are beautiful. The, the content is why you should subscribe. But also as someone who works in, you know, digital marketing, there's a level of genius I can appreciate in how he, you know, how Stuart managed to create something that truly, I know people in Thailand, I know people in Australia, I know people in Canada, I know people in the Pacific Islands, right? Like all accessing the AIDS memorial mm. and hearing stories from people who live half across the world, all because of this Instagram page. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really unifying in in the work that Stewart's done here. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm. Completely. And and you can even tell just because I think the follower count in the 2018 article was like 50,000 or something like that and now it's like 180 something. So you can tell that it's yeah. just exploded and it's yeah reaching so many people. Going back to what you were saying about the the elders that are still alive today, do you think that there's enough recognition for these people who lived through and survived the AIDS pandemic? Enough? I don't know. Mm. But I, I'm starting to see more recognition for them, and I appreciate that, mm. right? Like, that's that's really, truly the... I don't want to call it a silver lining, because I, you know, I, I don't think it's it's just that. But there's a a beauty in that we're getting the spotlight stories that, like, I work a lot with the 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 act up activists from the eighties, the people who like in New York were storming Wall Street and you know demanding <laughs> rights and 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 the the humanization for people suffering from AIDS in the middle of the crisis. Right, mm. these people have seen almost all of their friends die. Right, like they there's very few of them left. And in young queer spaces today, at least for years, I, I hope it's different post pandemic, but like for years, they would walk into queer spaces and feel invisible mm. because no young people were, were really interested in, you know, the quiet older guy in the corner. I think that's, that's a huge shame. Mm. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value and experience and stories to come from these people. And I get that. You know, I've been young. I know what it is to like desire hookup culture and <laughs> all of that stuff. But I think that like ignoring older queer people in our social spaces only segregates young people from the older crowd. And I think that the older crowd 
deserves to feel desired, deserves to feel heard. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like they demand to be seen. And still somehow we, uh, so many folks don't manage to, to, to look their way. Mm. Right. And so in that regard, do they get enough attention? Probably not. I think that there's, there's a lot more work we need to do in recognizing how lucky we are to have them. Mm. Right. Someone like Peter Staley, who's, who starred in, uh, Have a Survival Plague, brilliant mind, a, a, a true genius of the act up, you know, generation. Mm speaks very openly about how stigma plays a huge role in social dynamics amongst older and young queer intergenerational dynamics, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. I think we all owe it to the generations that came before us, to the people who worked so that we could get to where we are to celebrate them and to soak in as much information as we can, because the truth is someday they, they won't be here. And we won't have any voices from this generation left. Mm. And we owe it to our community and to the next generation of that community to try and find out as much information as we can. Right. They didn't survive all that just to be left by the wayside or to be a forgotten memory. Right. Like these are, these are people who in a lot of ways laid the groundwork for a lot of the freedoms we have today. And I think that that is the thing we need to hit home to all people. Mm. So how can people listen and support the AIDS Memorial or get involved or kind of join in with the work that you do? Gosh, uh, share stories. That's, that's, that's the number one baseline. Anyone can submit. If you go to the AIDS Memorial profile page, there's a link to submit your stories. We are also want to see photos that uh, speak to the, the freedom of self that people felt while alive. Right. Like that is something mm-hmm. we really want to celebrate is the energy and the excitement and the life force mm-hmm. behind the people featured in these stories. So if you've got those to pair with any submission, we love to see it. I think that's truly the best way to connect. If you're ever just on the AIDS Memorial page, look through some of our stories, read through some of them, and then check out the comment section. The comment section is my favorite thing about the AIDS Memorial page, mm-hmm. because when you take a look at the kind of connections people make, I've seen stories where somebody has submitted something about their father. And then in the comment section, someone said, oh, I used to work with him. I had no idea he had passed. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry for that loss. Like, I'd love to connect. Mm-hmm. And so now you have the child of this person connecting with a former co-worker with, of this person, able to build community, right? They're able to share stories. They're able to cope mourn together in a way that like i haven't seen any other platform do online Mm. there's a lot of beauty in the kind of relationships that are built seeing that there is a reparative element to the aids memorial that people are able to heal some of the hurt that either they've caused or that they've experienced through connecting over some of these losses it's the most powerful thing mm-hmm. it really truly is and that's that's the reason to subscribe and i guess that takes me to the final sort of suggestion and how to participate subscribe follow us check us out tell all your friends we like you said we we've grown to about a what, 180,000 yeah. followers great let's get that to a million yeah. let's share this <laughs> let's share these stories right there's there's too much value here not to. And I think 
after the year year and some change we've all been through mm. we could all use a little healing um, i know personally it was that was quite a um an emotional interview i'd had quite a, a rough day before we recorded and I think going into it and obviously knowing the questions we were going to be asking and what the content was revolving, I just kind of had to set myself up a little bit because I had spent the last week discussing, thinking about, writing about, talking about the decades of discrimination that older LGBT people have faced. And I think just hearing some of the stories and hearing Ron talk about kind of our queer elders receiving more recognition and respect and, and love, I think that kind of all just hit home a little bit. So yeah, I just think it was a it was lovely to speak to Ron. We know it was a really difficult day for you as well, Ron, so thanks so much for sticking with us during that interview. You might have seen back in March in the press about London's first AIDS memorial, which is planned for Tottenham Court Road, which is headed by our next guest, Ash Kotak. So here's Ash. My name's Ash Kotak. I'm he and him, and I'm Executive Director of AIDS Memory UK. AIDS Memory UK is campaigning for a London AIDS memorial and a national UK AIDS memorial. The idea is to commission a new piece of art to be placed on Tottenham Court Road and it's to bring people together to remember the last 40 years. This is the 40th year of AIDS Mm -hmm. and to speak about exactly what we've been through collectively as a number of different communities, because one of our themes is unity. It's four main communities, LGBT community, many gay men, trans communities, bi men, black African communities, injecting drug users, mm-hmm. and blood disorder communities. But at the time in the 80s, what it was really very much about was meeting people of different value systems and us all learning from each other. And that involved overcoming our own prejudices. Mm. And then we all fought for our common survival or the survival of our friends. So it's it's a very important message to take forward into the future because this is exactly what the world needs right now, I believe. I think sometimes what happens is that when history moves forward so rapidly in, in terms of value systems changing, We don't have time to think Mm -hmm. what we were collectively fighting for. And sometimes you need to stop and say, what happened? Mm. And so the National UK AIDS Memorial is a kind of constellation of all the existing AIDS memorials in the UK. And we'll join them up on a website and have a QR code at the local site. So it will explain the local history and then the national project. And what's so important about that, I literally went around the country. Mm. I went to Scotland, to Manchester, to Brighton, to Oxford, to everywhere and spoke to people. I did talks. And this was all voluntarily uh, over the last four and a half years. And people said to me, and it was very moving, if you have the National AIDS Memorial in London, are you saying that AIDS deaths in London are more valuable mm-hmm. than the deaths of my boyfriend, my friends, my son, my daughter, 
my brother, my father. And I'd heard this so many times around the country that we had to come up with an idea where any AIDS memorial in the UK is equivalent. Mm-hmm. The job of a curator, because that's what this is, is to hear and listen and to ensure that the history of AIDS, we remember those who died, we celebrate where we're at today and all the resilience, the resistance, the fight, the struggle, and many of us survived by luck, Mm -hmm. and also to remember that AIDS is not over. This is the midpoint of the pandemic. 37.9 million people are living with HIV. 42% of all of those people cannot access life-saving medication. If people are on medication, as most people hopefully know by now, mm-hmm. you can't pass on HIV. So not only do you stop HIV becoming AIDS, they're not the same thing, you stop the spread of HIV. And so the third part of AIDS Memory UK is raising our collective struggle and fight and saying we need to fight on. It's not good enough Mm -hmm. for us to say in the UK that we're okay, Jack, Mm -hmm. that we must forget about other places in the world. And it's not so simple because India gives free medication to its 2.1 million people living with HIV there. Mm. The United States, about 40% of its HIV population, does not access medication. India is now giving cheap generic drugs to the United States. Mm. So the whole understanding of HIV AIDS has changed, but stigma is the big issue. It stops people testing. Mm -hmm. It stops people accessing medication. You know, you have people in villages in Africa who will not go to the local clinic because people will start talking. Mm -hmm. You have the same thing in India because in India, the situation is, and a lot of cultures say the man in the family gets HIV and the woman is infected because of him. She's blamed. She's thrown out. In some cases, people have been murdered. Now, that happens in the UK. People still die of AIDS in Britain. We never talk about it. So there's a lot of work to do, mm-hmm. and we need to keep fighting. I did not survive a long-term HIV diagnosis and an AIDS diagnosis. I'm fine today, and I'm very lucky to actually give up on my responsibility to keep fighting on. I really believe that. Mm. And it's a gift that I can do this work. I, I felt that. That's why over the last four year, and a half years, when I set this up in 2016, I felt so driven to lead this campaign. And um, now we're going to become a charity. We've got great trustees. Mm-hmm. And we hopefully, we had a plan to deliver this year. We're going to deliver in the next two or three years instead. Mm. And so how far along are you in the process of making the memorial a reality? Well, we have the location in Tottencourt Road. Camden Council have been amazing. A really progressive borough. And it's been very difficult to get a location. Mm. I've tried and tried, spoken to lots of boroughs, and, you know, had conversations and discussions and sometimes they went on for six to eight months. At the end, they said no. 
And, you know, I didn't understand it because, you know, you've got to be slightly obsessive. You've got to be obsessive if you're running a campaign such as this mm. because you really have to believe in it. I'm a filmmaker. I know that when I'm making a film, it can take a very long time. So you have to pick up projects which you're so excited about and maintain the excitement and the drive to get it delivered. I'm also a playwright, so it takes a long time for a play to be written. And then it takes a long time to get it on. So I'm used to working with narrative. I know how narrative works. I also know the responsibility when you take on a project such as this. Mm. Because it's not about just doing an AIDS memorial. An AIDS memorial means nothing without narrative. And that's what's very important. So this is a narrative-based project, and we'll be constantly working on that. We've done a whole load of events over the last four and a half years. We brought back the London AIDS Vigil each year, mm -hmm. and we've grown the campaign, and we have a lot of support. So we're going to be running a whole load of events in London, starting on the 11th of July at Halfway to Heaven. Then they're going to be monthly and they're about fundraising. They're about awareness raising. I am very upset that this history has been forgotten so quickly. Mm. We watched It's a Sin, thankfully, that came out this year during another pandemic, COVID-19. A third mm. of the country watched it. Now, that's my generation. Mm. All my friends were dying. And you've gone to so many funerals that you stop feeling. And part of the situation is you can't take anymore. And you, it's a slow erosion of oneself because multiple death syndrome. How how much can you take? It's just one after the other. And, these, you know, and you're in your 20s and you're a gay man in a very homophobic climate. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have... Gay Soho. There were two bars, Compton's, The Brief Encounter in the 80s, and The Golden Lion, which was for sex workers. Mm. And that's in central London. I used to hang out at the Black Cat a lot as well. I went to the gay teenage group, you see. So I was going there when I was 15, even though I said I was 16, and I looked about 12. <laughs> and um, so that was at the beginning of the whole HIV crisis in this country. So I was part of it from the beginning. And it was really extraordinary that you got to know people at the gay teenage group, and suddenly people started disappearing. Mm. And they were 18, 19 years old. Uh, another thing, we used to hang out at the Black Cap, and the drag queens used to kind of take us under their wing. And the drag queens would be disappearing because nobody would talk about it. Mm. It got closer and closer in that, you know, suddenly boyfriends would be dying or lovers would be dying. In 1995, somebody, I was, a guy that I was seeing, I was in love with, he died. And it completely destroyed me. And then my ex-boyfriend died, and he had four kids. See, in 1989, I made a film which was funded by the government, mm. which was the Black HIV AIDS Network had commissioned me, and it was a film about all the black communities 
there was HIV AIDS in the black communities. Mm-hmm. It was called Our People. We shot it at the London Lighthouse. It was translated into seven languages and it won a British Medical Association Award, which I directed. Mm-hmm. I'd left film school in 87, won a big award. I've made a film with John Hurt. And so, and that film did very well. It was a short film and it was sort of, Sets in 1773 with hundreds of extras and <laughs> hanging scenes and horse, horses and co- coaches and uh, theatre scenes. So it, it was massive, oh. massive. And so after that, I was being offered a lot of work. And that won a whole load of awards. So when I was asked to do this, it was very interesting because of my own relationship from my teenage years mm. of people disappearing. So... That was the time when you really understood the dehumanization of people living with HIV, because that's what it's about. Mm. And it continues to be about that 40 years later. I'm shocked that I'm still having this conversation. How are people so dehumanized just because they have a virus? Why is the queer community in the UK so prejudiced against people living with HIV? We need to grow up. Mm-hmm. We need to learn our history. And people say, well, it doesn't affect us. Well, you've got your freedoms because of those struggles when people were dying. Mm-hmm. Time was of the essence and so much changed. Films were made, plays were written, books were written, articles were written. People were galvanized to do something. It was a massive turning point in terms of sexual rights in this country and so mm-hmm. much more. Because... Life is about meaning. It's about finding one's own value. And when so many people are dying at such a young age, you're experiencing this, you become very aware of meaning and value because that's the conversations you're having on people's deathbeds. You know, people want to feel, even though their lives have been so shortened, that their life has been... Valuable. I remember when Nigel was dying, he was a very well-known filmmaker, Nigel Finch. And he had been doing a movie called Stonewall, and I was out in New York, and he got very sick on set, and he flew back before I did. And by the time I returned to London, he was very ill. It's, it's the memories of people, because people like myself, the deaths were so horrendous those memories remain. Mm -hmm. And when I set up the campaign and I only got 3,000 signatures to present to the mayor, Mm -hmm. and so many young people said, well, it doesn't really affect us. We're not really interested. It it was very upsetting. And I had to ask a question as a curator. Why is this? Mm -hmm. What work haven't we done that it's such a short time? Mm Mm-hmm history is being rewritten because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the problem in the modern era. It's the rewriting of history. It's at which points do you take history? What do you write out of it? What do you write in? I mean, Stonewall happened in 69. Decriminalization happened in Britain in 67. We were seeing the first cases of AIDS in 78. Mm-hmm. You know, so it blew up uh, 40 years ago. But we mustn't forget that. Mm. So our history is tied up with HIV/AIDS, yeah. our modern history, and it's 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 these sort of ideas that we have to be very responsible about. So that's why I I asked myself, 
am I the best person to do this? Mm -hmm. Before I took it on, realizing what a huge project it is. Mm -hmm. I met everyone who had run former projects to create a London AIDS memorial. I understood what they were doing. And I see what I'm doing as a continuation of their good work. Mm. There were two campaigns before AIDS Memory UK. I've learned from everyone else. This is not ego-led, and it cannot be. And anyone who comes to be mm -hmm. part of this process who are doing something for themselves, they're thinking they're going to get kudos from this. It's very important that this has been done with the right ideas behind it. Mm. You've got to have a value system when you're producing a piece, a work, a curation, a play, a film. It's very, very important. What are your values mm. that gives you the right mm -hmm. to lead yeah. the campaign such as this? You mentioned It's a Sin earlier. Do you think that more commercial exposure over the years through these type of projects within TV and film has helped destigmatize AIDS and HIV as a disease and those living with it as well? I mean, there's been lots of films being made. There's mm. uh, been lots of plays written. I, I got to know Tony Kushner, Edmund White. I used to hang out with him in Paris, Larry Kramer, um, Sarah Shulman. A lot of the, the greats, I went in search of them and got to know them and got to know them quite well and learnt from them because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. We we want to learn from people who came before us. I mean, one of our patrons was Joseph Sonnabend, who died this year, who was one of the first people to work with HIV-positive patients in New York City. And he set up AMFAR, which is one of the leading organizations mm -hmm. in the States. He, he, he set it up with various other people. But also with Michael Callum and Richard Berkowitz, they came up with the safe sex message. That's why we've got what we have today. And also he came up with the idea of prophylaxis against PCP, which was killing everyone. So, mm -hmm. so we've done lots of events with him. He died this year. We're going to do a big event with him in New York. So... Our, our histories are connected internationally. Mm. We all learned from each other because we were walking into the unknown. So it's a lot of work, a lot of writing. And again, Mark Doty's work was re really influential. You had Edmund White's work, Larry Kramer's work, mm. uh, Tony Kushner's work. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about history there was a lull in the history that we we didn't talk about it people were sick of hiv aids mm. that was post the medication you had kind of 10 years of silence mm -hmm. it's those 10 years of silence which has left us in this situation so i'm hoping that people will rediscover mm -hmm. a lot of this work i know the national theater is doing the normal art um, mm. we had a whole lot of plays and a whole lot of films that just really come out so uh, it's a sin as part of that. It's not the mm -hmm. program. Mm. And so this is what I mean by us as queer people knowing our history. Yeah. And it takes some time. It takes a couple, two, three generations for that history to be written for and for it's becoming part of our collective understanding of where we came from. Mm. So what can people listening, what can they do to support AIDS Memory UK immediately? 
after they've listened to the episode and also more longer term as well? How can they help? Well, you can give us some money because we've <laughs> got to go, go fund me, which we're raising some money. We haven't raised any money yet. And everyone working on this are volunteers. That's not sustainable because we need to do bigger projects. We need to raise money to commission the artwork. We need a committee, very high profile committee who are going to put that out there so we can get the best possible work. So we're moving into the next phase, but we've got all of these events, as I said, in London, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to be fun. You know, we, they're at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, they're at Halfway to Heaven, mm-hmm. they're uh, at Phoenix Arts Club. I mean, everyone's been great. They've given us a, their venues for free. Lots of people are coming along to perform for free. And so we will really, really get the word out there. It's very much about talking about where we are with HIV AIDS, mm. getting people to test, talking about PrEP. And also the main thing is getting people to understand what living with HIV is mm. like today to end the stigma. Listen, if we can't expect the country to end HIV stigma. We're not doing it in our own communities mm, yeah. when we were affected so much. So we really need to step up the mark. I mean, anyone who's listening to this, ask yourself questions. How do you feel around the whole story of HIV and AIDS, the narrative in the United Kingdom? It doesn't matter what age you are. Your life today is a direct result of what happened. And if you don't understand that, read a lot more books, come to our events to understand the stories. Our website's going to be up soon. We've teamed up with the National HIV Story Trust as well so just follow us and learn so as always we'll make sure that we put all of these links and bit of information on our website but definitely definitely be sure to check out AIDS Memory UK especially in the next few months because as Ash mentioned, there's going to be a lot of fundraising coming up, a lot of different events, networking things. So if you are based in London, definitely, definitely get involved because it's a really, really, really special project. So obviously things have progressed enormously since the start of the epidemic mm-hmm. through treatment, medication, awareness and understanding of HIV and AIDS has also increased. It's obviously not where it needs to be. But what we wanted to do to finish the episode was just kind of give a little bit of modern context where we're up to around treatment is prevention, U equals U, which you may have seen, and also around PrEP as well, just to give kind of some key pointers, Mm -hmm. key facts for anyone that may not know, and also direct you to the fantastic PrEPster, Mark Thompson, who we spoke to back in our first Pride episode, works at PrEPster, and we wanted to reach back out to him, and he gave us a little bit of guidance around this as well. So thank you very much, Mark, for this. So, firstly, what is treatment as prevention? So, this refers to the effect that the HIV treatment has on HIV transmission. And it refers to the fact that people who are taking HIV treatment and have an undetectable viral load do not and cannot pass HIV on during sex, even when condoms are not used. The viral load is actually tested by doctors to measure the quantity of HIV in the sample of blood. It's ideal to have as low a viral load as possible. And the lowest viral load is known as undetectable, which means that there's so little HIV in the sample that they couldn't find any. 
If the viral load is undetectable in the blood, that usually means it's also undetectable in semen, vaginal fluids, and the rectum. I could be on BBC Bite side. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to treatment, people who are living with HIV need to take HIV treatment, also known as antiretroviral therapy. That's a big one for my scouse lips. (laughs) It can keep someone in very good health with a normal lifespan, so long as the pills are taken every single day. HIV treatment reduces the amount of HIV in the body, and this both keeps the person living with HIV healthy and reduces the risk of them passing HIV on to someone else. So in the UK, all people living with HIV can get HIV medical care free of charge at NHS hospitals, and doctors usually recommend that all people living with HIV take this treatment. So when you're on HIV treatment and your viral load is undetectable, this means that HIV cannot be passed on sexually which is what the term undetectable equals untransmittable refers to, otherwise known as U equals U. So another method of prevention, um, which I think by now everyone will have heard of, is the drug PrEP. So PrEP stands for pre-exposure HIV prophylaxis, and it's a way of preventing HIV infection by taking a pill on an ongoing basis before sex and continued after sex. So it's taken by someone who doesn't have HIV, which is the important bit, to prevent them from getting HIV. Um, The PrEP pill is an antiretroviral drug, and it's the same type of pill taken by someone who already has HIV to treat it. If a person taking PrEP is exposed to HIV, the PrEP drugs prevent HIV from entering their cells and from replicating. So this stops HIV establishing itself and stops the person taking PrEP from becoming infected with HIV. For PrEP to work, there needs to be high enough levels of the drug in the blood to be protective against HIV. That's why taking PrEP properly is so important. So I actually was part of the PrEP impact trial in the UK, which has now ended, but the trial was to assess uptake of PrEP on the NHS. So taken daily is obviously the most the, the easiest way to remember to take the medication. It makes sure that you are protected to the levels that you need to be for the drug to be effective. But there is also an event-based way of taking the drug, which is non-daily, but it means that you take the drug kind of when you know um, that you're planning to have sex. As I said, I was on the impact trial that has now ended. I actually wrote a small blog in the Metro a few years ago, 2018 or 2019, about why I was taking PrEP and kind of how it helped me to not only kind of feel more comfortable with my own sex life and my own understanding, but just generally my confidence kind of overall, which I think we'd like to discuss way more in depth in a different episode. So that is one for the drawing board for now. But yeah, if you would like to know a little bit more about either treatment as prevention or about PrEP, you can visit preps.info. I've got tons more information on there. It is really important to know that the impact trial in the UK has now ended, so you can't access PrEP through the impact trial any longer. You can, however, access it if you go to your local sexual health clinic, as it is available on the NHS. Finally, far too late, it took a long time getting there, but it is available on the NHS. As we said, we just wanted to kind of give those key fact overviews to... I guess show the progress that's been made, make sure that people are up to date, know a little bit more and know where to go to find out more information. That is us for Pride Month. Thank you so much for listening this month, for sticking with us. Thank you so much to all of our incredible guests. Thank you to Joe Malone, who we worked with this month. We are also nearing the end of this season. (laughs) Very closely. But we will share a bit more on that in our next episode as always go to apple podcasts and rate review and subscribe 
it really does help we say it every week it helps us get in the charts pushes us up you can also vote for us in the listeners choice award for the british podcast awards just go to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote type in bottoming add in your details voila done that closes on the 4th of july so if you haven't done it yet and you would like to do that time's a ticking mm-hmm. thanks again have a gorgeous gorgeous rest of your week and we will see you in two weeks you're doing amazing sweetie you're doing amazing sweetie bye bye hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.